0: Why do Christians believe that Jesus had to die? Welcome to Craving Answers, Craving God. Anyone who is a Christian knows that Jesus died on the cross. Even those who are merely acquainted with Christianity know that Jesus died. But if someone asks you, why did Jesus have to die, what would you say? Today on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God, let's not just talk about what happened, but why it happened and why it had to happen. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, as a Christian, I know it's important that I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again from the dead. But how important is it for me to know why he had to die? No, it's absolutely essential
1: I, to, to know what something means, I mean, especially something as strange as uh, somebody dying and then his followers claiming that he rose from the dead. Knowing what it means is absolutely essential. It's, I, um, and that's the rest of the New Testament. Actually, in one sense, the rest of the New Testament after Jesus' resurrection is a long-extended attempt to explain what it means that Jesus rose from the dead, died and rose from the dead. I I had a professor uh, in college who had a friend who was a non-Christian, and very close. They uh, would go on camping trips together, and he said that one time he went on a camping trip with them, and he uh, was giving him all the arguments, uh, historical arguments uh, mainly for why Jesus rose from the dead, which are actually quite solid. And over the course of the evening, as they're sitting around the campfire uh, discussing this, his friend said, "Okay, uh, you got me. I, it's true. I don't. You're right. It's true. It's, yeah, weird stuff happens." His friend said to him, "I read a story one time of an armadillo that was born with three heads, and yeah, weird stuff happens." And uh, m- uh, my professor realized that just knowing, you know, having it historically demonstrated to his friend that Jesus rose from the dead wasn't enough if his friend didn't know why Jesus had died and risen
0: from the dead. So it's absolutely essential. Well, I knew, that it was, I knew that it was something that should not be overlooked, but I'm interested in the fact that you say it is absolutely essential. So I asked the question in our opening today of our listener, what would you say if somebody asked you why Jesus had to die and I'm thinking there might be somebody who's listening to us who says, well, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. And now, Pastor Miller is telling me that it's absolutely essential that I know the answer to that question. So I'm feeling a little, uh, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm not quite up to speed on this topic, something that maybe I've never even really thought about before. What are we going to do with that?
1: Yeah, uh... Mainly, I, I hear this too. I, I this is a question, or this comes up in conversations that I have, um, you know, with unbelievers, with uh, students at the local college. Uh, it seems sort of uh, crass and brutal that uh, God would become a man just in order to die. Um, you know, the uh, the the surgery is as painful as the disease is big. It's just a Typical rule of thumb, you know, if you if you've got a sinus infection, there's uh, you know there's some pills you can take to help alleviate that. If you have stage four cancer, uh, which is spread throughout your body, uh, the cure for that's a, a little bit more painful. It's going to involve radical surgery, months of you know chemo irradiation, radiation, uh, body breaking down, weakness, loss of hair, um, uh, nausea, all that sort of thing. There's a difference between, uh, you know, God having to die is a radical surgery because the problem is so radical. Sin is so pervasive. The brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our own hearts and um, our selfishness and what it leads to from uh, little things like passive-aggressive words meant to push something, somebody's button— to big things like uh, murder and war and uh, genocide and everything in between. In order to get rid of all of that, the surgery has to be radical. And uh, the the Bible claims that uh, Jesus took all of that. He took my passive aggressive comment. He took my murder and he put it inside himself. But to get rid of it, it had to get cut out. And because it was in God, It was cut out, but he was powerful enough to rise back from the dead. So death was absolutely essential.
0: I'm thinking of that person that I referenced earlier that I said who might be merely acquainted with Christianity, knows what it is, but doesn't necessarily identify as a Christian, or a Christian who's maybe been a Christian all his or her life and has to say, I don't know the answer to this question either. And so they think about it. And they come to the conclusion that a death, particularly a gruesome, torturous death, sort of seems antithetical to what we'd like to consider as a remedy. Why couldn't Christ perform some glorious, all-encompassing, victorious, undefeated work? Yeah, in order to achieve atonement for sinners.
1: Yeah, what? Well, that's interesting because that's that's that was his disciples, his his friends' position, you know. Well, let's go to Jerusalem. You know what's our problem here? Our problem is is that um, I'm, I'm speaking as a first century Jew now. Our problem is is that we disobeyed God, and now God has allowed the Romans to come in and enslave us and take over our country. Well, why don't we go up there and just get rid of the Romans? You know, you're the Messiah. We think that you know God has put His hand on you, and He's given you uh, definitely a great degree of power. We've seen you heal sick people and feed hungry people with no food available. We've seen you raise people from that. Why, why don't we go up to Jerusalem and defeat the Jewish, um, uh, uh, turncoats who are working with the Romans. And then when the the Roman garrison comes up from Caesarea, we'll beat them. And if Caesar sends over an army, we'll beat him and kick him, kick him out. Why don't you do something uh, glorious and powerful? Well, what Jesus knows is, um, you know, the, the problem isn't the problem isn't Rome. The problem is is the deep dark forces that stand behind Rome. And whether whether it's Jesus uh, being tempted by Satan in the wilderness right at the beginning of his ministry, uh, whether it's at the end where we're told that Jesus is betrayed to the Roman authorities because Satan, the accuser himself, put it in Judas's heart to do it. There's some deep dark force back behind the bad political forces that's determined to get rid of jesus and you know jesus can beat caesar let's say let's say that jesus is is raises an army and beats caesar there's just going to be a new caesar that pop that pops up there's always a, a new bad leader who's determined to do evil things to the world there's always bad human beings Jesus is determined to go after the big forces behind, namely the, 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 the power of death. And, you know, Paul says later on that, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our, our, our beef isn't with the Caesars of the world. Our beef isn't with the bad financial leaders. Our, you know, our beef isn't with the, the bullies. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. We wrestle against these, the, the strong, bad spiritual forces that are the agents of death, and that's who Jesus is going after, and what he wants to beat is death, uh, because uh, you know, like, like I said, you, all the you know, all of the Allied forces who were responsible for defeating Hitler in World War II, all of them have died or going to die. you know, that generation is uh, rapidly coming to an end here. they're all going to die. The, the, the defeat of Hitler actually didn't cure the death problem. Jesus is determined to kill the death and sin problem. And in order to do that, he has to die so that he can rise from the dead and beat death. His death is absolutely necessary. A political victory isn't going to cut it. It's temporary. Economic victory is going to cut it. A defeat of death is going to cut it.
0: So what would you say to an unbeliever or a person who's a Christian but is skeptical, who is offended, genuinely offended mm-hmm. by the notion of that God makes atonement for sin by the brutal executions—not just death; it's a horrific, brutal death. Yeah. What kind of a God does that to His own Son? How do you, how do you respond to that question? Yeah, well, well,
1: the brutalness of His death uh, corresponds to uh, the current historical situation, right? I mean, He was Rome was the agent of the accuser. R- Rome was the bad guy that was going to kill Jesus because Jesus was a threat to it. That's the way Rome killed people who were threats to it. Jesus was not the only person in the first century to be executed by crucifixion. There's hundreds of thousands of people who were crucified because they were perceived to be a threat to Rome. Yeah, it was definitely brutal and horrible, um, but that's the way Rome did it. It's the way, you know, Rome Rome wasn't too merciful with people. You, You know, Rome executed people. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you murdered a Roman citizen, you were going to get executed. Uh, beheading was a, a typical execution that the Roman government did. Quick, pretty merciful, pretty easy. If, however, you were seen as a cosmic threat, if you were seen as a potential rebel, uh, uh, especially like in Jesus' case, you were seen as um, an alternative king to Caesar, planning a revolution, they were going to publicly humiliate you. By nailing you up naked in front of everybody, that—that's because you know the the way that he died corresponds with the crimes that he was accused of. Being an alternative king, Um, why the second part of the question? Why would why would a good God have His Son executed in that way? That's probably the wrong way to look at it. I—it's not that God, and and part of the problem here too is that Christians have talked about this in unfortunate ways. It is not that God was taking some, side of, some kind of strange, sadistic delight in murdering his son. The, the price that needed to be paid to get rid of death and the accuser, the enemy, d- demand that this is the price it was, was going to take. And, and God sent his son into this scenario, not because he thought it was fun or because he took pleasure in evil things happening because he loved the world to the extent that this is what he was going to do. I, maybe this will help. I, I don't know. Um, let, let's say that you, let's say that one of our listeners has um, a son, a grown son, and the grown son has a family, and um, the family's at home, but the grown son is at your house, and you find out. You get a message from your son's family that there's an intruder at the house and that the intruder has, uh, I know this is kind of a strange story, just play along with me here, the the intruder has a gun and is going to kill people. And what you know and what your son knows is that, I don't know how you know this, just fiction, right, Uh, is that there's only one bullet in that gun. And if you say to your son, hey, you need to go home and you need to protect your family. And the one way you can save your wife and your kids is if you go there and you take that bullet. Does that make you sadistic? Does it make your son some sort of like great cosmic victim? No, that's the plan. The only plan that'll work in that scenario to rescue your daughter-in-law and your grandkids. Now, It's even different if you know that once your son takes that bullet, like three days later, he'll come back to life. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it easier. Like When you know that your son's on his way and that you've said goodbye to him and you look down at your watch and you know he's home now and he's probably dying right now, it's horrible. But it's not some sadistic God executing his son. It's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit intimately involved with each other, coming up with this great divine plan to fix a problem that we've started at, 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 a, at a high cost to themselves, certainly, but in a way that's going to actually solve the problem, that's going to get rid of the intruder, that's going to take the bullet, that's going to get rid of the evil one. And, and if you see it like that, that the problem isn't God, the problem is us. The problem is a broken world filled, filled with bad human beings, and that God is willing to take on the cost himself personally in order to fix that problem. He's he's a problem solver, not a sadistic executioner.
0: So the question on the table today is why do Christians believe that Jesus had to die? Yeah. And sometimes getting to an answer to a question like that is not the problem of the question, but it's the problem of the person thinking about the question who maybe has acquired layers and layers of logical interpretation mm-hmm. that uh, really isn't valid, but it's there and it impedes the person on their way to the correct answer. Yeah. So is the answer to this question in your evaluation really a simple one or is it complicated or maybe sometimes it's impossible? Uh well it's definitely complicated and
1: we, we honestly we uh, we don't have time to get into all the different streams that go into this. Um uh, you know, there's. You could go back and you look look at the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and there's this character that shows up called the servant, and there's there, you know, there's his story. The one who's he's he's one who is called by God to come and take upon himself the evil of the world in order to suffer it, suffer for it, and pay for it. Uh, you have that character that we've not talked about, but we could. Uh, you have the notion of the Messiah coming to rule and reign. It's definitely complicated. There's lots of different moving parts. Part of it, I like the way you just said it but prior to your question, and the lead into your question too. It's also the case that we have our own preconceived notions of what is wrong and what should be done to fix it, and what Christianity means. That sometimes are not the, that, that sometimes are misguided and will actually lead us to you know, like you said, the problem is sometimes the questioner. And one of the ways that the questioner gets into this problem is the notion, you know, the question, you know, why did, why did God have to send his son to die? Isn't that brutal? Well, one of the misconceptions behind that question is that the brokenness and sin problem isn't all that bad. Why can't God just be like, well, y- y'all are okay, you know, it, I, I just forgive you. I'm a loving God. I forgive it. Why, you know, why would he have to do something like that? And what that does is that sees the sin problem, including my own sin, as something that's just sort of like casual that God can just say. You know, so I think I've said this in here before. Like, you know, if I walk past you and I, and I bump you with my shoulder accidentally, I'll say, oh, hey, I'm sorry. And you'll probably say, oh, that's fine. No worries. Because it really didn't cost you anything. It didn't hurt. You know, it maybe jostled you for a second, but it's not that big of a deal. If I, uh, you know, if I come to your house, though, for dinner, and I end up uh, uh, dropping my cigarette on the floor and burning your house down, and and I say to you, oh, m- my bad, Chuck, I- I'm sorry about that. You wouldn't say, oh, no, no worries, it's not a biggie. You, you, you know, The problem at that point is that there's a loss of a house that has to be comp- compensated for, and, and you have different choices. You can say, Aaron, you're going to pay for the whole thing, or you can say, I'm going to pay for the whole thing, in which case you're going to eat the amount of money it costs to rebuild your house. You're going to eat the amount of money it costs to put you up in a hotel room. It's not just the money either. It's that I've been to your house, and I know that it's a house that's been in your family for a long time, Chuck, and there's the emotional uh, damage that it does. And for you to say, I forgive you, to me at that point, means you're going to have to eat, personally eat, a large amount of pain that I caused. And when we say, well, why, did, you know, why can't God just like, forgive everybody? We just assume that what we've done to God is bump his shoulder and p- passing him in the hallway. And in fact, what we've done is, is more akin to burning his house down. And he's determined to rebuild that house and to restore us, to let us live in his house out of love. But there's still a, a large price for him to pay. And what, what that means is, is you know, the problem that we've caused is not just the burning down of a house, but the burning down of ourselves and, and all other people. We've caused death the bible insists that the that the problem of death is caused by human rebellion against god he's determined to fix it but in order for you know the the price of forgiveness is the price of carrying on your own shoulders the pain that somebody else rightly deserves always and when the, when that forgiveness is cosmically huge like it is in what we've done to god the price is cosmically huge his own life
0: i think people who process things logically, who understand a rationale, I think they understand that there are consequences for bad behavior. You do something wrong, there are consequences. I think just about everybody understands that. So what happens when we transfer the understanding that, yes, Jesus died for my sin, to what we see in Jesus, the brutality that he underwent, Mm -hmm. the death of that he underwent, that's supposed to be me. Right. When I look at what he went through, he's doing that because now I don't have to. But that brutality and that horrific death right. really is the kind of death that I, mm-hmm. as a poor, miserable sinner, yes. should endure. Yeah. Now, we've crossed a bridge there. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a huge
1: move because I think you're right. We all get that. Like you know, there's a, a cottage industry. It's it's bigger than a cottage industry. Gosh, it's a it's a mega industry of revenge movies. You know, Liam Neeson or uh, um, who's the Make My Day guy, uh, Clint, Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. You know, the, the movies where something bad happens and you know the guy the hero you're rooting for goes in and blows everything up and there's a sort of a cathartic and sense we of like it oh yeah we love it's like it go go because we yeah. believe in it you know if somebody cuts me off in traffic I, I i believe that justice demands that i get up in front of them and cut them off you know i, I believe justice demands that you know if you you know if you do something mean to me, if you cross me at work if you politic me at work i'm i'm already planning out my revenge and if it takes two years to make the move to make you look silly in the boardroom or to get the promotion and get you demoted, I'm willing to do that. Now, we all get that, except for when it's us. When it's us, we're like, well, why can't you just say you're sorry if you're so loving? Just say it's okay. So the, the move here, though, is to understand that that sense of uh, justice that we know is right when it's other people sinning against us is actually what we deserve. I think that's, t- that's a great way that you put that. And it's hard for humans because we demand justice for everybody else, but allowance forgiveness for ourselves and to, 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 to realize that I am no different. I I deserve the punishment the, the punishment that I, I want to demand for others I myself deserve. That's a great place to be. it's hard, it's painful but it's the first step to getting to, to the place where you can say hey you know what like God is offering me that God's offering to take the justice and the, the punishment and indeed the wrath that I deserve and to carry that he's willing to pay for the
0: rebuilt house when I'm
1: the one who burnt it down.
0: So I, I don't know if this scripture that I'm about to uh, relate here even applies. Um, I looked at it and it talks about death, talks about dying. And I, I'm curious if you can help me out with this. This is in John chapter 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So does this verse shed any light on this conversation?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, you know, Paul references this too in 1 Corinthians 15, when he talks about death, the, the death of Christians and the resurrection of Christians inside of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, this this image of just an agricultural image right you t- you take a, a, a grain of wheat and you plant it in the ground it dies you, you don't eat it it's you know it dies and then it's gone it's gone but, but it germinates and grows way more wheat than just that one grain and what jesus is trying to get his disciples to see is that my death is a necessary good because you know my my death isn't just this cruel arbitrary vengeance uh, my, my death is a plan To create uh, An infinite amount of new life And so Jesus is trying to get them to see That when I die That death is going to bring about Much life, it's going to bring about your life And so for uh, the, you know, the Bible insists that you know, if you want to participate In this story If you want this new life, if you want to have Your sins forgiven Then being inside of Jesus Christ So that when he died on the cross We, our death's we're plugged into that as well, so that when He rose from the dead three days later, it guarantees our resurrection from the dead. And so all the benefits of this loving God, who figures out a way to take the bullet to rescue the family, who figures out a way to pay for the burnt-down house so that we don't have to pay for the house we burnt down, that we can get the benefits of that. And we can live it, we can have the family, or we can have our family back. We can have the new house, the new rebuilt house back. This is what Jesus is trying to say. It's a great example of that.
0: So here's kind of a plot twist. I guess we're on our way to convincing skeptics or our listener who doesn't have an answer for the question of the day that Jesus had to die. Mm -hmm. That was part of the plan. And Jesus knew the plan. He often related how he was doing his father's work. It wasn't even his work. It was his father's work. So if Jesus had to die to achieve forgiveness for our sins, why in the garden of Gethsemane does he pray, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yeah. It's almost like he's checking out of the dying part of the plan.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's a, it's a really unbelievably amazing passage. And we, we've done this in here before, but I'll just point out that if you're trying to write a story, let's say that your name is St. Matthew, and you're trying to write a story to prove that this guy you knew is actually God in human form. W- wouldn't you make him like a Superman? Like, wouldn't you make him like, you know, floating three feet off the ground? Well, like, and
0: I might argue that he did. There are, it seems like, endless accounts of yeah. Superman-type activity. Sure, sure. But also this stuff. Also yeah. this this moment
1: of just this incredibly deep sorrow and pain. And I don't want to go through this. I don't want to carry the sins of the world on my shoulder. I don't want to, not because he's not willing, but because the pain of having to pay for the burnt down house is going to be so intense because he's going to experience for the first time ever separation from his father, because he's going to be the only person ever in the history of the world who who unwillingly goes to hell who says, my God, why have you forsaken me? No, Like we've taught this, nobody else has been able to say that. It's God, why have you forsaken me? Or my God, you're always with me. Jesus is the only one who's going to experience this, and he knows it, and he's horrified at it uh, and deeply distressed. But, But he does it anyway. He does it anyway because he loves his Father and because he loves us and because he loves this world that he made, and he wants to make it right. But he definitely is not some sort of robot. This is not some sort of like financial transaction where God said, okay, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, go deposit this money in the bank and then they can, they can withdraw on it whenever they need forgiveness, simple. It's definitely going to be at a high, high cost to himself
0: and he's still willing to make that. Here's another scripture that you can help me with whether it applies or not. If it doesn't just say no, Chuck, I think it uh, doesn't apply. But this is from 1 Corinthians 15. It uses a term that is familiar to people who spend time in the Old Testament first fruits. Mm -hmm. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, yeah. then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Does this help expand our understanding of the question of the day?
1: I think so. And I, I, I really love this text too, because it points us towards God's goal. You know, why did Jesus have to die? What was the purpose? What was the goal? And here again, this is one spot where Christians have unfortunately soft sold this, undersold it, I should say, and it gives the wrong impression. So, you know, Jesus died to forgive me of my sins. We say that sometimes. And what what we might think as Christians and what unbelievers, non-Christians might hear is, okay, so you feel guilt about something that you did. You're telling me that God had to become a human being and die so that you could feel less guilty? Okay, well, that's not exactly what's going on here. It's better to go to 1 Corinthians 15, which you just did. Jesus is the first fruits. In other words, uh, you know this is agricultural imagery, like you said, from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament, of um, of a harvest brought into a barn, and the first bits of the harvest taken and offered up to God, as a sign that the whole harvest has been a gift of God. And so, what Paul is saying here is, when Jesus rose from the dead, He was just the first. Uh, this goes again, you know, First uh, uh, Corinthians fifteen. We talked about this a second ago with the the seed falling in the ground so that a a large amount of seed can be produced. Jesus dies and rises from the dead in order that many can rise from the dead, in order that all those who believe in Jesus are guaranteed to rise from the dead someday. And when you see it like that, Jesus died and rose from the dead, not so that I can feel better about myself, although I I hope that that's a byproduct, not so that I can feel less guilt, although I hope that's a byproduct, but so that my body could be raised from the dead someday, and in fact that this entire universe could be healed someday, that makes more sense of why God himself would become a human to die and rise from the dead. Because the payout isn't just a a psychological health that's a part of it. The payoff is universal cosmic healing, the resurrection out of death, back to life of those who believe in Jesus.
0: I know here at our church at uh, Glen Carbon, St. James Glen Carbon, you have said that if there's something that you say that doesn't rest properly with somebody, come on in and talk to you. Yeah. And get in touch. You'll sit down and have a conversation with somebody over coffee, lunch. You teach at the uh, local community college where I know you encounter people who are skeptics and have questions. So this question, why do Christians believe that Jesus had to die? Mm-hmm. I know it differs from person to person, but let's speak in general terms. Is that a 10-minute answer? Is that going to take an hour, or is that going to take multiple sessions? How are you going to handle that? Well, it's one of those, uh, you know, it's one of the delicious things about
1: uh, Christianity is that it's just, just unbelievably simple. It's just, you can just look at the surface of it and get the truth of it right there, but... You can spend the rest of your lifetime, in fact, I, I probably think the rest of eternity, trying to plumb the depths of it with all the the brilliant connections and the ramifications and the secondary, uh, secondary qualities and never get to the bottom of it. So it's easy. You, you could do it like we could say, Jesus died to rescue the world from its brokenness. He had to die because the world needed rescued. Um, And we all everybody understands that everybody understands that sometimes the hero of the movie throws himself on the grenade so that his platoon survives everybody gets that but then you can spend a half hour like we're doing you could spend 30 years like we're also doing Uh, you could spend the rest of eternity figuring out exactly what does that mean and what does it look like and how does it look in my own personal life and what are all the different streams that sort of flow into and out of this reality. So it just depends on how you want to work it. You, know, it's a, it's a, you could say it in 10 seconds, but you couldn't 100% understand it in a, in a million years.
0: So based on our conversation today, I'm sort of assembling these thoughts, connecting these dots. God is a God of grace and mercy. That does not mean that he is not a God of justice. Right, yeah. So if I'm a sinner, and I am, then justice demands that I pay a penalty, if I'm as serious a sinner as the Bible says that all men are, then I have to pay a very serious penalty. Yeah. So Jesus had to die because the penalty for my sin, if I pay it, is my eternal death. Right. There's no way to wave a magic wand over that. There's no way to look the other way. Oh, it's okay, pat yeah. on the back, no. uh, You know, go try again. Yeah. It requires a death. Yeah. Justice requires a death. And his death gets me off the hook. I don't know if that's, that's probably a kind of a superficial way to say it, but his his death means that I don't have to have eternal death. right? Is that a good enough answer? Yeah,
1: I I think that's, I think that's the, the, I I think that's good. Like once the house is burnt down, you can't just shrug your shoulders and say, easy come, easy go. Somebody's going to have to pay to rebuild it. And, you know, uh, Jesus's death, Pulls us into that. It doesn't just get us off the hook. It pulls us into the new house. Uh, so get us. I, I tell totally, you, I, I totally know what you mean by get us off the hook. You know, it doesn't just say, okay, I'll rebuild the house. You go away. Stop burning down houses. You're not welcome back in my house anymore. It rebuilds the house and then welcomes us in as new members of the household. And so it's it's just it's brilliant. It's absolutely, and it's actually, you know, deep at its heart, it's the only thing that's actually going to solve our problems. Revenge won't do it. You know, I, you know, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm never satisfied completely by pulling around in front of them. In fact, it's usually just a disappointing experience. But this will actually satisfy
0: all the all the needs that the brokenness of the world requires and make them all good. Here's my last question. Let's return to that person that I talked about before, merely acquainted with Christianity mm-hmm. or the unbeliever, who listens to this program, and unbelievers listen to this program, I'm sure that that's true, and they say, based on the conversation we've had here, you've changed my thinking here. Is it our goal to get that person not merely to stop being offended by the brutal death of Jesus Christ, but to love it? Uh, We all love the resurrection. We all love Easter. We all lay pretty low on Good Friday. You know, let's just get through this. Should we be as loving toward that act of Jesus on Friday as we are to His act on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and one of the reasons is because it is an act of God's love, God's love for us that he's, you know, he's calling us to, to, to live in this love. I, that's, the whole goal is to foster love in us. You know, John 3, 16, the famous verse, God loved the world in, in this way, that he gave his only son to die on the cross. It's an act of God's love. Paul says in Galatians 2, you know, Jesus' crucifixion for me is because he loved me and gave himself for me. Definitely God
0: wants us to love the, the, the great lengths that he's gone to to fix us. Well, we began with the question, why do Christians believe that Jesus had to die? And we hope our conversation today provided uh, some information that might be helpful for people who wanted an answer to that question. Thank you for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. When you select an episode, you'll have an opportunity to click the like button or to click the share button on Facebook or Twitter. There's also a place where you can leave a comment. I'm Chuck Rathard. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God.